When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's a hump day. It's a Wednesday. It's an MK day. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Welcome to Morning Combat episode, whatever it is, I don't even know anymore, 200 and some change. I am one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the nation's capital here in Los Estados Unidos, but I also have royalty uh, to my democracy, so to speak. He's the king of Connecticut, my friend and yours. He wears the clothes promoters give him and then goes and covers them. It's Brian Campbell. Hello, Brian. <laughs> Completely random, Luke, that I would pull the Bellator sweatshirt out of the closet today, and we would have Bellator breaking news in just a moment on our show. But happy to be back here, Luke. Uh, you know, the hierarchy within your overall monarchy is your boy, BC, the American Alpha. Uh, yeah, so take that, Luke. I'm here. I'm back. How many times did the American Alpha have to take fiber pills this past week? <laughs> <laughs> the American Alpha's body is slowly breaking down, Luke, but uh, that's not a surprise to anyone who has seen everything from the color of my factory town teeth to the uh, rumors of my liver's demise. But, Luke, I am one of the people, for the people, by the people, ready to touch a lot of our people, <laughs> for, you know, based on the local laws in their state, you know, so uh, let's do it. let's do it, Luke, all right? All right. Uh, as always, like the video, give it a thumbs up. Subscribe if you haven't done it. It's literally free, and we give you nothing but great content all the way around. So what are you waiting for when it comes to that? BC, I, we should tell folks that the holiday merch flying off the shelves. Ooh. Still a limited time you can get it, but correct me if I'm wrong, that window is closing. Yeah, I, I've been told by by the finest of all uh, merch makers, RJ Dunkelman, that... Uh, Basically, if you don't buy your Halloween merch today from MorningCombat.store, our fantastic 2.0 merch site, uh, you're not going to get it in time for October 31st. So if you want to be walking the kiddies around, right, because they got to get theirs, uh, why can't you get yours wearing at least a, an MK uh, Halloween donk or Luke's uh, Dios de Muerto, which is uh, actually hasn't been doctored at all. That's what Luke looks like most days, so it's a perfect artist rendition Uh uh, that, you know, why not? You know what I'm saying? We, uh, you know, we'll help you out. You can look, you know, the trend, Luke, at least in my town here in suburban Connecticut is to walk around with a cooler filled with drinks in a group as the kids go to the doors and the parents get, uh, get hammered. I don't, I don't take part in that. Though. I guess I don't have that. That sounds like a good idea, but, uh, I'll probably just smoke reefer in front of them instead. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> well, yes, hey, you, uh, hey, hey, Luke, if you want to live your life like that, I hear the drug rug could be about a week away from hitting stores. So get ready, okay? <laughs> okay. I didn't say I wanted to do fentanyl and smell like baloney, but there are some people who want to do that. So we'll we'll update you as uh, as it as it happens. Um, let's see what else. Oh, uh, for today's fan subs and then Friday's dead wrong. There's one email address. It's Luke Thomas. What am I saying? That's my personal one. It is morningcombat <laughs> at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the best place to get this. I know I'm giving out Luke Thomas news like it's my personal channel. It's not. It's the best place for your dick pics is LukeThomas at gmail.com, as always. No, no. Luke Thomas news is the email address. But, uh, okay, don't send dick pics either way. So there's that. We got merch. BC, if folks want to watch Showtime, not that hard, right? You go to Showtime.com. You get a 30-day free trial. You can watch Good Boxing. You can watch Bellator. You can watch Billions. Lots of Bs that are available for you. Lots of bees and billions, by the way. Wow, loving that shit right now. I'm a little late to that party, but don't be late. It's never too late, okay? While this offer lasts, why don't you try it for 30 days? I mean, you could do a lot worse than top-quality entertainment and sports and the only place you can catch Bellator, MMA, and these lower 48. So uh, do that shit. You don't like it. Pound the sand. We'll move on. Thank you. That's our All right, guarantee. let's get to some breaking news here very quickly, if we can, just before we start our main top five topics. So, BC, I'm not sure how much we want to say about this. I don't know if you want to deliver it. Um, but either way, we have a major uh, breaking news about a Bellator title fight that's going to happen Friday, December 3rd at 10 p.m. live on Showtime. This will be at the Mohegan Sun Arena. And BC, on Friday, December 3rd at 10 p.m., who is going to be defending what title against who? Yeah, the Morning Combat newsroom was was abuzz this morning, gathering the information, checking our sources, checking it twice. Uh, I'll tell you what we found out was nice. This main event, December 3rd, when Sergio Pettis makes the first defense of his Bellator MMA 135-pound title against the former king of all things Bantamweight, Be- Be- you know, Bellator and almost worldwide, Kyoji Horiguchi, the Gooch, who will be making his return to Bellator following a very profitable run in Risen in Japan. And Luke, when we look at Horiguchi and we remember that between 2015 and 2019, he won 13 consecutive fights. Oh, and that one loss, which broke the streak against Kai Asakura, he avenged it by knockout to regain the title in that organization. He's back in Bellator. Uh, not that long ago, he beat Darian Caldwell twice to wear this title. Luke, this is a superstar matchup. This is one of the best fights Bellator could make. I love everything about this fight. What's interesting is if you note here, BC, Horiguchi is not ranked. He's not ranked because he just left the another promotion in Japan and came here. I don't think that the rankings panel, BC, you're on the rankings panel. I don't think you guys even really had time to put him in based on how things were going, but let it be no mistake whatsoever. Even if he didn't have a number here, he is entirely deserving of this his body of uh, 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 achievement is incredible his recent run has been good obviously he's fought in the bellator cage and won at a high level already this is a no nonsense matchup and i gotta say i love what sergio pettis has become but koji horiguchi is a is a world beater man that's this is a a, a title that can absolutely be described to this guy this is truly one of the best fights bellator can make this is on par with anything ufc could do it's a fantastic fight yeah, sorry to cut you off. This division's loaded globally. It's absolutely loaded in Bellator MMA. And to be able to take Sergio Pettis at 28, who has seemed to figure it out coming off that victory over Juan Archuleta to, to gain the Bellator title, to put him in, Luke, 
you know, not just against the next best in line, but maybe the best of them all in Horiguchi, who again had that one fight under the Bellator banner in 2019, defeating Darian Caldwell for the Bellator Bantamweight title, then defeating Caldwell again in Japan. Luke, let's not forget that before the runs in Bellator and Risen, uh, Horiguchi was 7-1 and one during his UFC days with the only loss being a last-second submission against uh, Demetrius Johnson. So you're talking about at 32, maybe, maybe the best bantamweight in the world. Now he's going to have his chance to fight Pettis. Luke, I do want to ask you quickly before we get to the main topics what this news says about Bellator's short-term future at 135. There had been some rumblings and rumors is now the time to launch the Bellator World Grand Prix. Uh, could you even have Pitbull? Patricio, who gave up his lightweight title for his brother to have a chance to fight it. Could we have him moving down? We, it looks like for now, Luke, the answer is no, but I, I'd, I'd surely trade that entire tournament to make sure I get this matchup on December 3rd. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'd have to look at the bantamweight division. I think if you had a couple of decent adjustments, you could make that work, no doubt about it. Um, but there's the, 135 is easily, not yet, but it's the division of Bellator's future. It's already the top division in UFC. I think Bellator, it's a very strong division, but it hasn't quite overtaken the rest of the roster. But to your point, you can make a tournament either to get to that place or once you've already gotten to that place. Either way, you could. it's, it's hard to go wrong here. It really is hard to go wrong here. A lot of great cases you can make. And Horaguchi versus uh, Sergio Pettis, I'm telling you folks, that is such an A-level fight. You cannot miss that Friday, December 3rd. So if you're asking how you get Showtime to weave it all together, true story, you don't even have to pay for it. You can get 30 days free. Go to Showtime.com. If you like it, keep it. If not, dude, keep your money and go somewhere else. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you are into high-level MMA, this is not one to miss. Kyoji Horiguchi is a treat, and so is Sergio Pettis. And if you're into other things and you hang around on the Showtime app long enough, there's probably a Red Shoe Diaries for you too, Luke. All right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, they please all comers, so to speak, Luke. All right. Well, with that in mind, before we get fired, let's move on to topic number one, if we can. BC, I am uh, blown away at, frankly, how little attention this is getting. I get it. There's fights every weekend. People kind of turn the corner late. And by the time they do, the fights are good. And then maybe after the fact, everyone makes up for the lack of pre-fight attention. But, dude, this Saturday is the return of Paulo Costa. We haven't seen him since his terrible defeat to Israel Adesanya, where he barely landed a shot. He got finished off. He, he made every excuse in the book, including drinking wine and not sleeping and blah, blah, blah. Just a disaster of a performance. Well, this is his rebound, BC, and he's taking on Marvin Vittori. There is so much here at stake. Let me start with this question, though, first. Let's go back to Costa, because Vittori is a different storyline here, even though they're intersecting. For Costa, how redemptive, forget title shot for just a second, how redemptive could a win against Marvin Vittori be? I mean, considering Vittori's fresh off a title shot of his own, it'd be it'd be huge. And I think given the timing and the bad press that's correlated together, and I, look, I don't know if Costa thought he was filming a sequel to the movie Sideways with Paul Giamatti and that he was really out in Napa Valley, but that was one of the worst night before a championship fight decisions we've seen in some time. And it, 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 I think it just spirals on top of each other to be like, this is this is the wrong direction Paulo Costa has been going inside and outside the cage. But yet the right opponent at the right time, Luke, both style-wise in, in order to make fireworks, you know, he's not going to be outpointed, per se, by Vittoria in, in, the, in the traditional technical sense. And really, yes, high profile enough that should he want to come right back in and splash the pot and be a viable middleweight title contender come Sunday morning again, 
you gotta beat Marvin Vittori. And it's weird that both are coming off losses to the champion. Both kind of need a big refresh here. I think this is a UFC matchmaking at its best, Luke. I love the stakes. I love the styles. And uh, Paulo, you got some you, you got some explaining to do. There's there's no there's no other way to say it. Yeah, this is a huge fight for Paulo Costa. I think on the one hand, he could come back and get a ho-hum win that would be somewhat redemptive, but part of a larger process. He could come in there and blow the doors off of Marvin Vittori, which, by the way, dude, people don't do that. Adesanya didn't do that. Uh, I'm trying to think of who's gone in there and just really given it to Romero. Or sorry, uh, not Romero, uh, uh, Vittori. Like, nobody. Like, he's been beaten, but no one's really gone in there and just stuck it to him. If Paulo Costa can do that, dude, I mean, think about what you have to erase from the second fight, you have to erase the idea that when it came time to be even remotely cerebral, you were beaten before the fight, and then you got double beaten on fight night. As I said at the time when I looked at the video, I was like, this guy got audited. I mean, that was a true auditing of that whole fight. He had nothing. It's a similar kind of test that what Arlovsky does to these up-and-coming, often but not usually, uh, I should say often not, but not always, chubby or heavyweights. He makes them think an IQ test, and a lot of them just can't pass it. It's the same kind of thing that Adesanya did to 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 uh, Costa. So there's part of that he's living with. He needs to come out here if he wants to get back what was lost and not really handle the weight cut well and do the media and everything else. And I suppose a fight night is probably a better place to do that, BC, even in the main event than a pay-per-view because everything's a little bit calmer. It's a little bit more able to focus. It's actually kind of a treat that the UFC is doing that for him. But if he can come out there and he can get a big win and even a stoppage, I think that would undo a lot of damage. On the other hand... Dude, Vittori is not a joke. Vittori, and I know you know this, I'm saying this for the audience's sake, who kind of sometimes, not the whole audience, I should say this, but there are people in the audience who will dismiss him because, you know, he is a little bit aggro. He has a lot of ability, but doesn't have one particular standout skill set that best we can tell. Although I should be I'd note here, he is, he, is, he is very well-rounded. But if you compound the problems, not only do you lose the place in the line, in which case I lost to Adesanya and then I lost to Vittori would put him way back in the title shot sweepstakes. But more to that, it would just tell us that like the damage from that fight may have been lasting, which could affect any future fights. It, there is a lot that could happen to the Costa stock, which already took a hit. It could take another one here, even without the bright lights of Fight Island fighting Adesanya for the title. Yeah, and you know people forget Costa's already 30. He still feels like that that young block of cinder ready to come in there and, you know, fight to the death with Romero in one of the greatest fights in UFC history. But, Luke, he's only actually fought once per year for the past three years. So what that can do is it, it can overinflate sometimes who you are based on the results. It can also, uh, you know, compounding problems. This could take him, if he suffers a second straight loss, really in the wrong direction in a hurry. And I think, Luke, you and I are probably – uh, in in tune here and in, in both both looking forward most to see mentally how Costa responds because yes uh you the best way to repair any any bad PR in this game is to come out and in spectacularly win an action fight right and you know he can do that and still have lingering issues we may not see but Luke I want to see a game planning Costa goes out there and executes it as much as I obviously want to see action in this matchup just on their personalities alone. I mean, I can't wait to see this the stare down this week and, and, and you know, in the media setups. I can't wait for a lot of that stuff. But, you know, I do want to see a maturation because, man, you know, now that we know what we know about the Adesanya fight, in part we could just write that off because he's going in there against a wizard against Adesanya. But, look, he just – forget auditing. I mean, he just didn't even, didn't even look like he wanted to be there or he belonged. Uh, that, that's a big – even though that's one loss, and we're talking as if a guy's, you know – lost a few and, and this could be you know no like you it's still 
one loss, but that loss had a lot of branches off on the trees, Luke, and the branches keep reaching and grabbing for more headlines. Um, like I said, you, you really got a lot of explaining to do, and I want to see the mature fighter come out here just as much as I want to see the psychopath. I mean, the psychopath's fun to watch, Luke. I'll give him that. All right, but in terms of now flipping the, the, the story to Vittori, so he has this loss to Adesanya. He's got two losses to Adesanya, and only one is champion. But still, he had another chance. He had five rounds. He couldn't do it. Even if he beats Costa here, which, by the way, would be extremely impressive. Remember what Costa did to Romero? Just kind of took everything the guy had in peak feral Romero form. So a win is valuable, but BC, does it does it put him back in the title shot sweepstakes? Do people want to see a third? Like, what does it do for him? It doesn't do as much as it could do for Costa. Yes, because of that early loss as well, the Adesanya. It's like, you know, Vittoria already cashed in his his ticket of, you know, well, I fought this guy and I fought him well and some thought I could have beat him. And then, okay, you got the rematch. Look, a win over Costa keeps him in the block there in contention for sure, but he's not knocking on the door anytime soon. And I think the one thing Costa have is in his favor was everything we just said. That loss to Adesanya was such an aberration from the type of fighter that we've seen in the past that you wonder, Luke, if he comes out and makes a big statement, and I know there's still Cannoneer, there's still other big names jockeying against one another to try to crack that title shot, but Costa is still a, a young, marketable guy with a fun style, and you know, uh, UFC don't, loves putting top Brazilians out there. You, he could really make a big move with a win, much more so than Vittori, Luke, but obviously you know, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna turn down what a win would give you if you're Marvin. If you're Marvin, you're currently sitting at number five in the rankings. If you're Paulo Costa, you're sitting at number two, which is kind of weird to think about given what has happened recently and how their fights have gone. But okay, neither here nor there. For Vittori, it doesn't get you a title shot and probably makes you fight at least two more, maybe just one more. Hard to say exactly. But what it does do is, it, A, it moves you up the chain, which is not nothing. And B, if Whitaker ends up winning against Adesanya and they don't do an immediate trilogy fight there, which they could, but you know... It, if Whitaker wins, I do think it opens the door to great possibility. As you indicated, a guy like Vittori, how old is Vittori? 28, 29 years old, if that. He's not that old. He's pretty young, this guy. I'm trying to find his, uh, here we go. He was born in, yeah, he's 27 years old. So, dude, you're 27. You're not even in your prime yet. You're full-on prime, right? We're closer to 30 at that point. You just got to be patient. Stay at the high level. Stay taking big fights if you can. Stay working on your craft, and when you know Adesanya won't be champion forever, by the time that worm turns, you're going to be in good position to then move into a title contending spot and potentially be a champion of your own. We keep thinking because Vittori's been around, he's already got all these fights under his belt. Well, he's had his chance, and the division moves on, but with his age, it doesn't do that. It, well, at least it won't do that if, if he keeps winning, but if he loses... Well then, you know all bets are off. He's got yeah, a well, lot to do for that. He's got to hope the title changes hands, as you indicated. There, I can't see him, Luke, fighting a guy ranked above him with a win here. Unfortunately, with the way things are set up, with Derek Brunson set to face Cannoneer, but uh, could you see him facing a a Sean Strickland? Could you see him facing a Jack Hermanson type guy? Yeah, of course. Yes, absolutely. So it'll be out of the frying pan into the fire, no matter what. But um, certainly put him in a better. And, and dude, what would it, in terms of what it would say? that Vittori could beat a guy like Costa? Because we always kind of had the division, at least in my mind. I'm not sure how you felt. Last thing on this. I kind of had my mind as Adesanya and Whitaker 1 and 2. That could switch, but 1 and 2. And then after that, I kind of had Paulo Costa as like a soft 3. And now I'm not so sure that's true. Now I think if Vittori ends up getting a win, which we'll see how it goes, 
um, you would have to really challenge that. And maybe Costa is no more than a top five guy, which is a great achievement, but probably not what he imagines for himself. Luke, Just we probably don't there. have any other place in the show for this, but it's a great transition off of talking about Costa. I know you're not a big wine guy, but when you have to be, what is your your go-to dialect or genre within the overall wine game? So I used to be really big into wines, really, really, really big into wines. Um, but that's been a long time, a long time, 10 years or more that I haven't really cared that much about them. Um, what was my go-to? So... If I, this, okay, so there's like sophisticated answer and then there's like a horribly embarrassing answer, but I've got both. I'm not talking about if Boone's I Farm for two ninety nine dollars no, a bottle, Luke, okay? No, 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 I don't mean Boone's Farm, but what I would say is uh, not always, but often Chardonnays have a higher alcohol content. So if I'm at a cocktail party and I just want to get blasted, I would go, I would opt for the Chardonnays. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Just a reminder I'm, for anybody yeah. at that cocktail party, Luke claims it takes him 45 beers to get lit. Which, Luke, again, along with you claiming you could dunk in high school, is one of the most absurd Luke Thomas factoids that, that needs well, checking. The 45, we could probably, at this point, pare down to pretty low. But at my peak, I'm sure a case would not have done it. And I guess I've dunked several times in high school, or right after it as well. Um, but okay, neither here nor there. The better answer would be, like, what was my go-to back in the day? Good Lord. A, a, a simple one that is always pretty good if you're looking for something that's got a little bit of a higher price point but uh, still delivers on quality. It's somewhat overrated, but Cake Bread. Cake Bread is a brand that produces all kinds of different good wines. Yeah, I um, buy that shit for my wife all the time, Luke, okay? Cake Bread, yeah. Cake Bread's yeah. pretty good. Cake Bread's got a good Riesling, which I like, a little sweeter yeah, wine. Yeah, but that's girly, Luke. Come on, bro. They're not. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to hear anything from you I about mean, what you show is a little or isn't. man today. The, the the least. The guy who spends the least amount of time uh, with masculine hygiene, so to speak, is going to lecture to me about what is and isn't good. Want. I'll, I'll pass on that. Thank you. Um, I was thinking okay. if you went with a close shave, you could probably lose ten years in terms of people's age perception. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I have, but I just don't. I don't, I don't mean shave like it off. People. I mean go with a very thin beard, Luke. I have to go thin beard because apparently my uh, I don't have the same testicular manpower as you to produce this hair, <laughs> or maybe it's the blessing of it's your just... Armenian upbringing. Us Lithuanians got a we're very patchy like like mix, but uh, I think Luke, you could really if you just get rid of this clump right here, you get it shaved down. People be like, man, that guy looks thirty eight. It's true. It's true. But I've got bigger fish to fry. Um, then yeah, the like your length. balls with the Manscaped man, man mower. Yeah. Lawnmower yeah. 4.0, bitch. Get that stuff. Yeah. Use it on your face if you have to. Ask Proprietary BC. technology. Yeah. All right. We got to move this along because we got to be out by a certain time. So let's go to topic number two. BC Fedor is back. He is back in Russia. He is 45 years of age and he is taking on Timothy Johnson. Now, there's a lot to like about this fight depending on one's perspective, which is. Fedor still has an argument as, if not the greatest, certainly one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. On top of that, he is back in Russia. This fight will take place in Moscow, which obviously has to be a great thing for something of a homecoming for him. But I, and he's taking on, as we mentioned, Timothy Johnson. Uh, he picked Timothy Johnson, BC, because he had quite a winning streak going on, which obviously shows he is quite a good fighter. Fighting someone who is spearheading the division is always a great opportunity. He talked about passing on JDS because you say, well, JDS at the time was under UFC lock and key, but I think that wasn't true by the time they could have made the fight. Moreover, Timothy Johnson just had a loss. Now, he lost to Valentine Moldovsky, who's very, very good, but it's not like he's got like the most like unimpeachable win streak. What do you make of Fedor saying that's why he picked Timothy Johnson? Look, it's weird to try to make anything of what Fedor says because he says so little uh, and so slowly 
by such a long default, you know, translation that it's hard to ever get a gauge of what's going on behind that sweater. But Luke, I will tell you that um, I don't love his answer about Junior Dos Santos. Now, look, he was, let's not forget, he was in the corner of uh, Valentin Moldovsky for the Timothy Johnson, uh, vet, you know, not vacant, interim title fight. So, okay, maybe you feel like he saw both good and bad because Johnson did fight well in that fight. He went five round rounds. He went for it in his chance at a title. Maybe he liked the spark there. Maybe he saw some openings that would be a fight on the feet. I don't know, Luke. I feel like they, it could have been, you know, look, I'm wearing this Bellator sweatshirt, but none of us went yay when we found out that Fedor was going to fight Timothy Johnson, right? A lot of us were going, man, this is a fight Fedor can lose, and it's not overly marketable. Look, I love the event. I love the chance to see Fedor at home. I actually, Luke, I'm not against Bellator. They've been in the commercials just calling him the greatest of all time, Fedor Emelianenko, without a qualifier. So that, that <laughs> that's very open-ended. Like, are you talking about the damn goat or just heavyweight or what? But I kind of like it because he's one of those rare guys, Luke, that deserves the royalty and reverence, probably because of the way he's handled himself. He's so soft-spoken. He, he never goes away. He keeps coming back and sort of reinventing himself in these small bubbles. I mean, he's a damn legend. There's no question about it. So I like that. But if he fought JDS right now, Luke, it would have been a much bigger fight without question. And to try to be like, no, he's had too many losses in a row. I mean, look, you know, gun to your head, who could beat Fedor faster, Timothy Johnson or Junior Dos Santos? I think I know your answer. Probably JDS. Right? Yeah, I think it's a tougher fight. So I don't I don't love that answer is what I'm saying, Luke. I see. From the standpoint of take the I tougher, Timothy's, bigger fight. Don't you think Johnson is a little bit stir- – Timothy Johnson just flatly has not taken the punishment that JDS has. So in some sense, he's a little bit more hittable. True. But in other senses, he's way more durable. No? Yeah. So what I mean by that is he has a – Fedor would have a quicker chance of getting finished because let's just call Junior Dos Santos more – offensively dangerous but you're right jds why is he did he have that losing streak to exit his ufc run because you know the the durability got became in question over the years so i don't know again luke i think that's a fight that looks more dangerous on paper jds chinny enough where fedor could catch him yeah i just love that fight it ain't gonna happen i gotta move on we gotta move on he's gonna fight timothy johnson i will say this luke uh it's the biggest fight of Johnson's career. You, you know he's going to come in swinging and going for it. I do not expect this to get gross and go and go any kind of late distance. I think it's going to be fun. I think the prospect of seeing Fedor in Moscow, not ever really knowing if it's his last one. Luke, I hear different things come out of him the rare times he he's He's got one more, one more, one more. One more after this. Um, look, I mean, you, I don't have to tell you, Luke, if Fedor wins in his backyard, that's going to be a fun environment to watch. So let's see if the, the great one himself can pull off one more. Yeah, I, 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 part of me also wonders, BC, like, is there a Russian thing about what kind of Americans they like to beat up? You know, you know what I mean? Like, does Timothy Johnson fit a certain quite literal description about, hey, this guy, you know, because he kind of, he's got the handlebar mustache almost, you know, it looks like a cop. Yeah. And it's like, is there something stereotypically American to Russians about him? I wonder about that, you know? Yeah, he looks like the, like most men in adult movies of the last 30 years to come out of this country, Luke. Uh, God bless him. But the point I'm trying to say is I wonder if something went into that for that reason in terms of why he was picked. Because otherwise... Yeah, Fedor was like, hey, that guy looks like T.T. Boy and uh, Peter North a little. Let's grab him, you know? Uh, no. Look, I, I I, don't know. He Being in the corner, I do think that 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 if I'm going to guess, Fedor saw, yes, a American who's got a good record and just fought for a title and lost to my boy, Valentin, 
But I wonder if Fedor, again, saw openings that he has his own limitations, and I got to believe, Luke, he knows his own limitations, right? I mean, the thing about Fedor at this age, still ridiculously fast hands for a heavyweight. I mean, he still can surprise you and catch you, and in every one of these fights, he's, he's been a gunslinger of late. You know, remember the Mitrion fight in 2018 in the Garden, you know? So I wonder if he looks at Johnson as a bit slow and plodding and thinks, you know what, I, I, I can get in there and trade with him. I can throw with him. This guy can wrestle, but he's not going to go out of his way to drag me down. Or at least we don't think, Luke. I don't. Do you think? You think this is going to be wrestle heavy from Tim Johnson? He might. He's a, he's actually a pretty good wrestler. Uh, he is good. He yeah. might. Here's the thing about Fedor that I just don't quite understand. He's had a few moments in his career where you thought, "Oh, right, this will be his exit." So then he had the one where he fought Fabio Maldonado, and it was a terrible fight, which he should have lost. He was badly beaten. The ref just let him take a beating so he could hang on. And then he got a majority decision. Just an absolute travesty of a contest. Follows that up with a loss to Matt Mitrion, which was a weird one, but fine. Has two nice rebound performances against Frank and Chael. You thought, okay, maybe that will be it. Then he enters the Grand Prix and then loses. Then he fights Quentin Jackson in December of 2019 in Japan and wins that one. Uh, yeah, obviously, Quentin Jackson coming in uh, quite literally like comically out of shape. Yeah, he yeah, was. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a joke. But the point I'm trying to make is each one of these intervals, he could have bowed out and didn't. Now he's 45. I'm not going to ask you, BC, what he's fighting for, but I guess it's just weird, right? Because he's trying to find an exit that is pleasing to him, which someone of his stature is entitled to do, any fighter really, but especially one this good. At the same time, I don't know about Russia, but stateside, most of the fans around nowadays weren't around for the 2004 meeting between Fedor and Krokop, they don't understand the relevance that he once provided. It's almost like this relic that is, and I don't mean that unfavorably. I mean, he truly is sort of a special guy in that way, but he is older. He's generationally distant. What do you think the temperature is of the average fan base on a Fedor, not so much Johnson, but a Fedor fight? Well, I'll give you that. You know, it, it, is this because his prime was so generations removed? And for the most part, it wasn't in your face on American television until later. Yeah, they're, they're, they're main, the, is the appetite as big? I, I'm not sure, but I do know one person who, who has a huge appetite, and that's Scott Coker. And I do give Scott Coker credit through both Strike Force and now and Bellator with keeping a very strong relationship with Fedor and, you know, respecting his wishes, but also opening the door and giving him the star treatment. So it's, could it be a little bit more of a hardcore affair and event? Yeah, of course. There's a bit of nostalgic baked in, absolutely, even though, again, he's fighting a very live body who I would greatly favor over him. But it's it's hard to know how washed he is, Luke, for everything you just said. It's like, okay, even that Mitrione loss. He was a gunslinger, man. He was knocked him down. He was in that. I thought he should have retired after Bigfoot Silva sat on his chest in one of the saddest sort of exits that we had seen, Luke. But, you know, when he went to the World Grand Prix, he straight up revived his brand. Like, Frank Mir was the perfect foil who came at him guns and blazing. He got him out of there. Chael Sonnen was the perfect big name but overmatched in size who Fedor got out of there. Fedor had a shot against Fedor. He did. Did he get finished in the way that he probably should have given the talent disparity in age? Yes. But it's hard to know. Again, that Rampage Jackson, you throw it out the window, dude. We have no, there's nothing can be gleaned from that. So why is Fedor still doing it? Luke, uh, he's got to be one of these guys that, 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 you know, I ain't got uh, nowhere else to go. Like, this is what I do. This is all I know. And I do give his, him credit for mayo. transitioning and having his own team, being a coach, trainer, manager, whatever. Like, he's, you know, he's, he's making a career and a life out of this. But to still have that, that burst to want to do it one or two times more, Bellator is, in many ways, the perfect home for that. 
are you? Did you make an officer and the gentleman? Reference? I did, Luke. That's how yeah. old and washed I am. So, uh, so it's no yes. wonder I'm no, nothing. About nothing this. like uh, Louis Gossett Jr. and Richard Gere references in the middle of a Fedor conversation to yeah. tell us. Well, that I we didn't are. bring up the gerbils, at least, Luke. <laughs> you just did. You just did. I'll just say this. I, I, I would like to see Fedor fully transition into his coaching role. I was there for his prime. I got a chance to see it. It was one of the most spectacular things ever. He was, for a time, not only unbeatable, but just you couldn't even conceive of how someone would even do it. Uh, but at 45, I just feel like, yo, it's time. But okay, that's just me speaking out loud. Look, All right. Were you at the, uh, the Donald Trump promoted affliction fight against Tim Sylvia? I don't know. No, I was not. I watched it live uh, for BloodyElbow.com at the time, but no, I was not there. Uh, nor the second one either. Um, but uh, yeah, big. That was that was one of those nights where it was like, okay, Tim Sylvia might give Fedor problems, and then Fedor fucking ran through him like a freight train. And, you were, and that was one of those moments. And then when he, Arlovsky had him on the ropes at Affliction, and then he got cracked with that overhand right, and you were just like, yep, that's Fedor. That he just can't lose. He can't Fedor. effing lose. And then and then Verdum got him. So. Um, amazing career he's had, but it is a long one. All right. Let's go over to boxing for just a second. But for the MMA fans who are watching, I think you might like this one. This is a topic I saw a little bit about Then BC and I were texting last night, and he really dug into it and, and convinced me to like it. Anthony Joshua, BC, set this up if I can. He's kind of on tour in the U.S. right now. He's not doing speaking engagements, but he might be hunting for a new trainer. Now, here's the setup. Obviously, we know he just fought Alexander Usyk. He lost, and he made a bunch of changes in that fight. Not so much with the, his team, but with the way he approached it. He was lighter. He was lean. And he still got thoroughly outboxed. Now, it looks like he's going through the United States, trying to find people in his uh, out there he can bring into his camp. But the details of it are what make it kind of interesting. BC, what do you know about this, and, and why is it important news? Yeah, it's important news because the guy, although at a interesting bit of a turning point crossroads here if you will because he's lost now twice in four fights uh he's you know one b to canelo's one a of being the biggest global star in the sport i mean look look you see the fights how many people can can sell out a ninety thousand stadium and have their initials lit up with fire as you're seeing right there in the pictures well-timed and and just be a rock star he's still just 32 still in his physical prime but obviously his coming to the sport a little bit late relying so deeply upon athleticism and power, and we got to give him credit. His resume is so good. He's had to learn on the job and add things, but he's still not complete. He's very vulnerable. He's gone the distance of his career with trainer Rob McCracken, who came under fire big time when uh, Joshua lost to Andrew Ruiz a couple years back. Joshua chose to stay with him, but, Luke, it was obvious the manner in which he lost to Alexander Usyk, AJ just never stepping on the gas and going for it, almost stubbornly, almost like Canelo against Floyd, stubbornly choosing to box. He did work his way back in there. You weren't going to beat Usyk on this night with pure boxing. So he's being not clandestine about it, Luke. AJ's being out in, out in the open in terms of his travels. The rumor is coming out of there is that Rob McCracken's out and that AJ's looking for a new chief. He visited... Canelo Alvarez's camp in San Diego with Eddie Reynoso, who has added, of course, Andy Ruiz Jr. to that clientele. Could you imagine AJ sparring with Andy Ruiz? Could do worse uh, in terms of preparing himself. He went north to the Bay Area and visited with um, Virgil Hunter, who, of course, you know, best well-known for his work with Andre Ward, but also Amir Khan, Andre Berto, others that he's picked up through the years. And then, Luke, you saw videos show up yesterday that he was in Houston 
with Team Charlo over there with Ronnie Shields and uh, Jamal Charlo is, uh, you know, Jamel's with Derek James, but that's very interesting. Him and uh, Ronnie were hitting the mitts in the ring. Ronnie Shields was interviewed afterwards and basically said, look, he's in, he's looking for a trainer. I think our chemistry was good. This is going to be what's, what's most interesting here, Luke, because Joshua in some ways, as you look at the elite title picture in, in heavyweight boxing, because of his odd skill set, and I say odd meaning his foundational fundamental elements aren't fully there and polished, right? He's got a little bit of a suspect chin. He's a little bit too muscular and robotic. And, you know, yet against the the typical fare you find in heavyweight boxing, he becomes the boxer against those guys, the, the more crude big men, and he surgically picks them apart and then eventually finishes them. But against this super elite of the rare guys, the Tyson Furies, the Alexander Usyk's who have that next level actual pure boxing game, He's a tweener. He's not them. He can't do that with them. So I'm interested in seeing most, Luke, when it comes to which trainer does he pick, which lane does he lean in? I mean, look, obviously you're 32. You'd like to walk in and say, I want to be a complete product. So fix me, right? You want to say that. But which lane does he go down? Leaning on the size and the strength to being a more dangerous uh, finisher and puncher or really trying to say, look, let's fix it now, whatever we can before it's too late, and let's put in those foundational things that you don't have. You back up with your hands down. You know what I mean? Your head doesn't move enough. There's some little basic things that the punchers have been able to find in Joshua. I don't know. Uh, if I'm going to pick out of those three, and I'm not sure who else he's meeting with, uh, you know, you want offense, go to Freddie Roach, oh, by the way. But I wonder if Eddie Reynoso, Luke, who is so responsible in what he teaches defensively without sacrificing uh, your ability to counter shot. I wonder if that's not the perfect potential marriage for him and knowing that I got Andy Ruiz with me in camp. Let's not worry about a trilogy fight, Andy. Let's worry about getting me better. Dude, how... I mean, there's so many things that Canelo is good at, right? But one of the things he's very good at is you had just indicated, weaving in defense into the offense. Canelo is... Not, I won't say the king of this, but he's very, very, very good at catch and then shoot right behind it or block and then turn into a punch. He's very, very good about putting the two together. And that's a small detail, but that's one thing I think, obviously, Anthony Joshua could massively benefit from. Of all the, I mean, listen, Ronnie Shields, you can go to Eddie Reynoso. There's a bunch of guys he could go to, and I'm sure he would profit basically under all of them. I don't think any of them would be a wrong move, BC. But to me, it's less about tightening up some things. That, that's relevant. That's re that's there's no denying that's very relevant. But to me, I look at this more a little bit like Tyson Fury after the first Wilder fight. It's not just that I need to fix some things. I need to reorient my strategic approach to this. Because if I just bring in a polished version of what I did last time, well, Usyk's going to bring in a polished version of what he did last time, and you end up in the same position. You have to completely reorient how you strategically attack that fight. And he needs someone with a fresh set of eyes who can just, who's got a different orientation themselves. And to me, Eddie Reynoso, you know, you kind of put me a, a hip to him, BC, and now I can't unsee it. The guy is, he's talented. He's super talented. He is so clever. Um, the only issue I would have is, do you have enough time, even if you had Anthony Joshua starting today, to meaningfully make an adjustment. A guy like Tyson Fury is a master boxer where you could take a few things, reorient it, and more or less get what you want. I think the second and third fights that he had with Wilder is pretty strong evidence of that. You did see a retooling of Anthony Joshua after the second, or I should say in the second Ruiz fight, 
But that was a much more pared down. That There was no offensive potency to that whatsoever. How do you keep AJ's offensive potency while bringing in some of the other things that don't make him as defensively uh, liable? That is the real needle that has to be thread here. Hard for me to understand how anyone could be a whole lot better than that than Eddie Reynoso. But either way, BC, I got to say this. I love this from Anthony Joshua. I thought if he just yeah. went back and did the same old thing, it wasn't going to be – what was the reason to care? Now you have a reason to care because Anthony Joshua cares. Dude, he's going on a tour of the U.S. to find new trainers for crying out loud. That yeah. is a big step. He understands. I think he finally understands, like, I'm up against something. I need to do something special to get over this hill. He's doing that. Whether or not it will succeed, I don't know. But you want me to be invested in an Usyk and Joshua rematch in terms of its competitive possibilities? Now I'm invested. I love this from Anthony Joshua. Yeah, it's very humble. You well said in terms of all the right moves. I don't know if this means, you know, a full-time move to the U.S. and embedding himself in those camps. If he does that for Eddie Reynoso, if that's the choice, or, you know, obviously any of these guys, there's big names around. But, I mean, could you imagine A.J. and Canelo, you know, driving home together every day, talking about the game, the business, the, the everything? I mean, those are, you know, again, 1A and 1B of the two stars of this sport – I think there's a lot AJ can actually learn from Canelo about fighting about everything. And uh, that would be an interesting marriage if he goes that direction. Obviously, he could grab an American trainer and bring him back to the UK with him. It's, it's, it's AJ's world, right? But this is, to what to your point, the, the humble right steps in getting back. And when you're a heavyweight, the career's long. When you're a viable, active heavyweight, the career can be long. And, and I think AJ is is here for that journey. And so this is, this is a necessary change. And again, um, you know, he's not Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis is, you know, top four or five heavyweight all time. But if AJ can show the spirit that Lennox showed where Lennox wasn't perfect, he got he got one punch twice. But Luke, he got up and he went back and avenged both of those one-punch knockout losses by knockout in title rematches. Um, you know, AJ didn't knock out AJ or, or Andy Ruiz, excuse me, in their rematch, but he got that win back. If he can do this against Usyk, we're going to forget about a lot of these criticisms and stuff and instead reward the heart and the, uh, and the mission that he's on right now to, to turn this around. I love the Lennox comparison. Last thing I'd say to BC is let's say he can get past Usyk, but not get past him like you squeaked one by, but like what you're talking about. It doesn't have to be a one-hitter quitter, but he goes back and he has an authoritative win over Alexander Usyk, right? Where he goes in there, you're like, wow, man, he really figured this out. He really did all of his homework. He crossed every T. He dotted every I. It gives you new hope for Tyson Fury fights. They're always going to be a gravitational pull trying to make that. But do you really have a lot of confidence at this stage that Anthony Joshua can win that? I personally do not. But if he can get a new trainer, recharge his offense, tighten up some of the issues he's had, beat Usyk, well, dude, now you're talking about maybe not forgetting the past completely, but you're talking about a brand new future in certain ways. That's also on the table here. Not just getting past Usyk, but making people believe you really have a chance to beat all of your contemporaries if they're put in front of you. That's a, that's a, that's a tall order, but it's one he could possibly achieve, for sure. He, he, he could put the past away, Luke, you know? I, I wish he would step back <laughs> from that. Uh, let's see, did they, get the, did they get the counter? Let's see how young our staff is. Did they get the counter? As, nope, as they didn't Luke get has it. so often told Manich, it's not your fault, Corey, that you were born in 1997, okay? You, you seem obsessed with that, and I'm not, I'm not sure why. It was so but... arrogantly... 
it was so arrogantly delivered. It was like, oh, oh Corey, you wouldn't understand because you were probably born in the late nineties and you didn't watch. But it's not. It's it not a function of arrogance. It's a function of math. You literally weren't born then. It like you had no say over this. How was that arrogant? It was the delivery mechanism and the person delivering it. Luke. I tend to think I, I you're reading into things, but I haven't okay. held it against you per se. It's a comedic bit, but it does bring to life life with Luke. You I know? literally it was just like, I've hey, chosen. the math. This is this is the story of my life. I will literally say something like, hey, the math doesn't work out in a way that you could you could uh, or, or anybody could uh, make this work. Right. It's just the math's not there. Oh, you arrogant bitch. What are you? What are you bringing up math for? It's like yeah. I'm literally just pointing to the math. I'm not. I'm not making a value judgment per se. That's just why that you block it them. Them it doesn't. Fuckers, right? It doesn't work. Yeah. Story of my life, dude. What are you gonna do? All right. Topic number four. BC brought this up, and I love this topic because I really feel like it's important to have this conversation. So we just had Jim Miller, who had a great win over the weekend, right? Uh, first time he gets a knockout in his whole UFC run. The guy's 38 years old. He's got a 33 and 16 record, one no contest. There apparently was debate. I didn't see this, but BC saw it that people were debating whether or not he belongs in the UFC Hall of Fame. Now, BC, before I straight up ask you, do you believe he should go in there? Let me just read some facts for the audience to see what they think about it. I mentioned his age and I mentioned his record. He's got most fights in UFC history at 38, which is just ridiculous most sub attempts in ufc history 45 it's tied for the second most wins in ufc history at 22 tied for the third most finishes in ufc history at 14 tied for the third most sub wins in ufc history at 10 sixth most total fight night bonuses at 13 he's got wins over ludwig tebow Oliveira, who's the current champion ajolazon twice and tiago alves he has losses to frankie edgar maynard benson henderson nate diaz don cerrone Benil Dariush, Michael Chiesa, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, Dan Hooker, and also Charles Oliveira as well. BC, does Jim Miller belong in the UFC or any Hall of Fame? Again, as anytime we bring up Hall of Fame, and I think they're worth debating the merits, the criteria, all that, each Hall of Fame is so different. I've told you so many times how upset I am that, you know, the NBA doesn't have their own Hall of Fame. They have the pro, they have the, you know, the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, which you know, inducts you for college or high school purposes or women's basketball coaching victories just as much as it does for <laughs> NBA success. It's just not the perfect sort of, I don't know, maybe I just grew up believing it. The Baseball Hall of Fame, Luke, always had that heart. Even before, like, the Veterans Committee would vote in guys that maybe didn't deserve it, but it's been 40 years, they had that hard line, right? And Don Manley was on the other side of that hard line because he was great for a window but then he kind of lingered on and he was, you know, a, a, a lesser version of himself, not Hall of Fame worthy. And we always said, okay, that guy was great. In his prime, he was a Hall of Famer. But, you know, he didn't have a full prime. So that's on him. He's got to be on the outside looking in. And, Luke, I like in any Hall of Fame when there is a Mendoza line, when there's that thing that says, sorry, you can't pass. In this discussion, the UFC Hall of Fame doesn't have that. It's like the WWE Hall of Fame. It just seems to just be there because, oh, we should do a Hall of Fame. And then the people that get in, I mean, there's, I mean, look again, you know, my, my rant against, you know, Diego Sanchez didn't get in the UFC hall of fame, his fight against Clay Guida got in, but now everybody's saying that he's a hall of famer. So it's confusing to begin with Luke. We know UFC holds grudges against certain people. They'll never get in that they deserve. We know that, you know, the Bonners and the Griffins get in right away because of the love that the organization has for them. Will Jim Miller make the UFC hall of fame? He probably will Luke. Given the fact, and, and by the way, I don't, I don't hold him back from this and say he shouldn't because the guy's been such a grinder. We talked about it the other day. 
and just to linger at this point and still be viable, it's a tip of the cap to him. The UFC loves that. I hope he gets the recognition he deserves. But if we had a real UFC Hall of Fame to the same standards of, like, the pro football or Major League Baseball or even boxing, boxing's Hall of Fame can be a shit show sometimes, but for the most part, they get it right. No, Luke, he's not a Hall of Famer. And I think in baseball sometimes when we have these legacy statistics that people aim for, they're like, okay, I was a two-time All-Star and a decent player, but bro, if I don't get hurt and I can still keep hitting until I'm 41, I might be able to get 3,000 hits and that gets me in the Hall of Fame. Or, you know, Don Sutton getting 500 wins, or, or, I'm sorry, 300 wins when, you know, was he ever really a true dominant guy in the 70s and 80s, like best pitcher in the game? Not really. Those guys to me are compilers, Luke. I would put Jim Miller under the compiler ranking and say if we had a legitimate fight Hall of Fame, he wouldn't get in. But it doesn't mean I wouldn't love him, laud him, and be clapping for him when he does get in the UFC Hall of Fame. I, I, do you believe that it's worth me having this stance? Because I've said the same thing in boxing about Sergio Martinez, who had mm. such a great short peak run at top, but then couldn't get anybody to fight him. And it's like, do we, you know, do we take those four or five fights when he was number two pound for pound and be like, I saw a Hall of Famer with my eyes? Or do we just basically say... I'm sorry you fought like one and a half elite, super elite guys because nobody would box you. You can't get in because of that. I'm with you. I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But it's a question of, to me, what kind of Hall of Fame you want. right? So this is one of those debates that tends to reveal which people watch other sports and which ones don't, which is a common thing in MMA. MMA is an interesting sport where you get people who are sports fans, but you get a lot of people who are not sports fans, and this is the only sport that they like. And so because they have strong feelings towards Jim Miller, in part because he has some real achievements, some very real achievements. I mean, Jim Miller's career is extraordinary in, in certain ways, no doubt about it. But if you are just looking at what other Hall of Fames require to get in, it's just a significantly higher bar than what UFC provides. I mean, understand what we're talking about here. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is not run by the NFL. It's a separate entity that you have to get into altogether. The UFC runs their own Hall of Fame. So if you want a UFC-run Hall of Fame where the bar is lowered to get in, yes, I think in that case, Jim Miller does deserve to get in. If you want the UFC Hall of Fame to more resemble our contemporaries in other sporting endeavors, uh, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, among others, then you have to raise the bar. To me, BC, if you're not putting him in there for a fight, you're putting him in there for his achievements— He's never had a title shot. Now, I understand some of that is arbitrary, but if he had beaten Nate Diaz at UFC on Fox 3, he might have gotten one. It was certainly possible there. But you, you can't argue he ever really deserved one. He never beat someone enough times at enough high of a level to ever really merit one. He, you can't show me the spot on his record where it was denied to him. That doesn't mean he didn't achieve. That doesn't mean he's not great. That doesn't mean what he's doing now is ignorable. What he's doing now is phenomenal. But the guys who are supposed to go into the Hall of Fame, if what we are looking at is what other pro sports do, this is not even a debate. It's not even a question he doesn't belong. It's just that the UFC has a Hall of Fame where they have guys who have done extraordinary things like St. Pierre, people who have been in extraordinary fights, right? that extra fight wing, pioneers and whatnot. And then it's got a little bit of a place for people who, to your point, the compilers, the ones who just have real great longevity, never super high achievers, but achieved a different kind of things by virtue of the amount of time they spent in the sport and how long they were able to have a consistent level of success. I think that's worth celebrating. I think that's worth acknowledging tip of the cap times a thousand. I don't think that qualifies you for a stringent level 
of uh, screens to clear in order to be into the Hall of Fame. Personally. We have a uh, poll on Twitter right now. You can go to at Morning Combat on Twitter and, and give your say as to whether uh, no, Jim I think Miller it's, belongs. I think it's, uh, I think it's in the, uh, the YouTube chat. I'm sorry, the YouTube chat. Excuse me. We'll, we can push the, the racism and misogyny aside, thankfully, and uh, police that and get a nice <laughs> poll in there. Luke, um, if the fight game had the type of stringency I'm looking for, and let me just update you on boxing. Like, when Mike Tyson got in, by the way, in 2011, there were some people who were like, man, you know, he had a half of a great career. I think overall with what Tyson accomplished, youngest heavyweight champion ever, I was able to say yes. When Arturo Gatti got in, you had a lot of people going, okay, now we're just doing Hall of Fame, not Hall of Greatness, right? He's this guy's famous for fights. That was a little bit. Luke, when Riddick Bowe got in, what you know, was there a season where he was the world heavyweight champion and among the best in the and looked to be among the best in history? Yeah, but bro, that season was short. That guy's career fell apart by age twenty-seven. Um, the great wins he had were very pocketed together. I didn't think Riddick Bowe should have got in. If we had this line in the sand, Jim Miller doesn't get in. And I want to ask you a couple hard questions, Luke. Does Cowboy Cerrone belong in the hall if BC took over the UFC Hall of Fame? Um no, he had title. He had a title shot. I think at least one of them, if not two, uh, against Dos Anjos, the first one anyway. And he, you know, he got sent packing pretty quickly. Yeah, this, um, this is Craig Biggio, right? I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to disrespect yeah, anybody. A guy who Cowboys an All Star, fan favorite, not a super elite Hall of Famer. All right, let me ask you a harder question: If Michael Bisping never beat Luke Rockhold, Hall of Famer in my no, in my criteria? No. No. Oh. Oh. Mm-mm. Well, again, see, got... again, if what we're if what we're examining is what we do traditionally in other sports hall of fames that are run independently of the sports organization, typically, what kind of threshold for entry do you get? It's just sign, dude. It wouldn't. Here's the funny part about it: if we had one like that, people have tried MMA hall of fames and they've never worked. But if we actually had that, if we really tried that, this wouldn't even be a question. There'd be no chance they'd get in. The only reason they'd get in is because I understand it. The fans love them, and they respect that hustle over time. You have to. You have to. You cannot deny them that. But that respect that we confer upon them for their longevity and for many of the great moments that they have given to us and their lives as martial artists and prize fighters, we we recognize those achievements. But by themselves, those are not the key to the door and to the entry of the Hall of Fame. It's not. It's not, it's not nearly enough. St. Pierre gets to go into the Hall of Fame. Anderson Silva gets to go into the Hall of Fame. And guys, close in that proximity. This is, to me, not not there, and I don't think you can argue otherwise. All right, let me close, and we can move on. But let me close by asking you this. Give me two or three fighters that, under my hardcore stringent category, uh, way of looking at it, would actually make my Hall of Fame in the UFC right now that are active and in the midst of their prime. Who do you think has already Oof. done enough to, to, to stamp that? John Jones. I mean, he's already in, but I mean, independent of the fight, right? Um, yeah, he's the greatest of all time. He's in, Luke. He's in on day one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, he's 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 active, I guess. I mean, look, look, Max Holloway. He's he's already in, Luke. He's already made my whole thing. Yeah, he's probably in. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the level of achievement I'm talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a different level. It's not a guy who was always sort of like a very good lightweight and you know top ten ish at times. Uh, we're talking about guys who were champions or you know champions for long periods of time or challenged in different weight class. I mean, you got to do special shit to get into the Hall of Fame. And I think everyone, this is to me, it's like it's funny. 
it's like the fans always get after the the media and everyone else and the media is split on this too for like oh everyone wants to be entitlement society and everyone gets a trophy yo this is the if <laughs> putting people in that don't deserve to be in is the very definition of giving everyone a trophy yeah. just because you like them and you want them to feel good dude i want it's hard because we don't here's the problem bc we've got in or out it's binary either you're in the hall of fame or you're not in the hall of fame I know we got to get moving, but the point I'm trying to make is we don't have some kind of celebration for the Jim Millers, for the Cerrones, for the Demi and Mayas. I would put him somewhere in that category as well, BC. Guys who pension. did inc- How about health benefits? Can we fix <laughs> Stephen Bonner, please? I mean, seriously. <laughs> okay, what I'm trying to say is some kind of accolade that recognizes that achievement, but clearly differentiates it from the very elite tier that the yeah. sport can offer. That's all I'm all saying. Right. I, I'll all be right. there when Ioana gets in. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, have fun. All right, topic number five, Colby Covington, BC. Colby told Brett Okamoto of ESPN about this Usman fight coming up, quote, it's been such a journey. It's been tough. It wasn't supposed to happen. They did not want it to happen. His manager, they were refusing. They were trying to find every way in the book out of fighting this rematch. They didn't want this fight, and the only reason they have to take it is the UFC gave them no choice. They said, hey, you fight this fight or we strip you. It's one or the other. You've got to come out and prove you're the best in the world. This needs to be, there needs to be no controversy surrounding this fight. So it's been tough. BC, let me ask you a question this way. Colby has knowingly like just lied on the record if you a number of times, but not least of which was the Dustin Poirier sparring video, which had almost no truth to it whatsoever. Why on earth would we believe anything he says about any part of this process? Because we like gossip and de- filling time on podcasts <laughs> to debate shit, I guess. Uh, Fair enough. I don't know. I, something about it makes me kind of want to believe it, right? Well, I, I think it's an Look, do I know that UFC called up Kamaru and said, fight this man or we take your belt? No, I don't, I don't know that that happened. You know, was it more like Kamaru and company wanted maybe a less dangerous, more financially profitable, like a Nate Diaz or something, and then they had to be sort of talked into it? Maybe. Maybe that's how it works. Luke Usman is understanding you know, a certain level of stardom now with the multiple title defenses and opportunities involved in that. I just wonder, I sort of want to spin it back on you and ask if this is true. It's not unprecedented. We've seen Jermaine Durandamy say, sorry, I'm not going to fight Cyborg. And they said, okay, we'll take your title. You're done. Um, is it in the promoter's right, especially a promotion like UFC with the control it has over the fighters where you 99% of the time, let's give them the praise they deserve. You get the fights you deserve. You get them, Luke. You get the friggin' fights, okay? I can count on four fingers the amount of UFC fights that should have happened that didn't. So is it in the promoter's right to say, you? yes, you will defend who we say, when we say, or, or I got a pile of sand out back, all right? Let's get pounding. Nothing about what he says automatically, I'll say this, automatically rings untrue. But like anything he says, I would be very careful about accepting it. Is it possible? Is it possible? And when I say possible, I don't just mean like, could we theorize it? But like, have there been other incidents of this where a reigning weight class champion who already defeated an opponent doesn't want to take the rematch for whatever reason they may think it was a tough fight, they don't sell a lot, whatever, they don't have the interest, and the promotion kind of forces them by threatening to strip them. Yes, there is precedence for that. In that sense, what he's saying is entirely plausible. However, we have not heard from Kamaru's side, which is, who knows why, A, is it even true that he didn't want to take it, number one. 
Number two, even if it is true, what was the reasoning behind that? Did he have an injury? Did he have some kind of family issue? Was it simply petty? Maybe he just didn't want to do it because he didn't want to give that shine to Colby. All I'm saying is we don't really know. I to, More to your question, I guess I've changed my view about this. I wish it wasn't the case that the promotion could be heavy-handed in this way where the fighters could have a little bit more say. I really believe that. But it's not the world that we live in. It's not going to be the world that we live in until um, somebody does something about it. So while if it's true that the promotion threatened to strip in order to make this fight, I don't love that. If the fighters are unwilling to meaningfully do anything about that, then I guess I just don't care anymore for the, for the most part. And by the way, this is also a good fight that should happen. Colby is promoting this in the most ham-fisted awful, unimaginably uninspired way you could ever promote a fight this good. But it is a good fight. It's a very good fight. It's an important fight for each one's legacy. It's important for the welterweight division. It's a great contest, and I'm glad that it's being made. All I'm saying is when Colby comes out, Colby says X, and Colby says lots of shit that we know for a fact isn't true. I'd be very cautious about accepting it as gospel yeah yeah where were you on january 6th colby explain it to us please. <laughs> yes oh you were, uh, but, you were hanging out with morning combat fans all right great that's that's great yeah exactly he was there he was there with mk fight club t-shirt what are you gonna do um all right bc anything else to say about that one you want to just move on to no we, get, we got to move along for good reason you and i today right are we allowed yep. to say this you and i, I will be we're hosting allowed to say this. The Canelo Alvarez media workout. Uh, Canelo is out in San Diego. Our colleague Ray Flores out there with him. And uh, you and I will be hosting, uh, interviewing, and uh, analyzing what we see there as uh, Big Red takes his shirt off, hits the mitts, gives us a little insight into camp. So let's keep this show rolling, Luke. All right. Very good. With that in mind, BC, our top five is over. It is time for Call Me Crazy. All right, Luke, in lieu of a wheel of death, because, you know, who has the time to prepare for that only for the fans not to love it and you to no-sell it? I've developed this bastardized version of that called Call Me Crazy. <laughs> Is it everyone else's fault that the wheel of death doesn't work often? <sighs> yeah, in the end, Luke, call me crazy. All right, Luke, I've got eight takes, hot ones, cold ones in the middle. In the middle. You tell me if I'm crazy or onto something. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Dominic Cummings, Luke, a British political strategist who was one of the masterminds behind Brexit and the chief of advisor to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, unsolicited. He got stabbed, right? What was that? Is this, guy, is this the guy that got stabbed or somebody different? I don't know about if he was punctured, but I do know that he gave unsolicited advice to Nate Diaz over Twitter this week, telling him not to sign a new UFC deal and to wait until Dana White approaches him to set up a trilogy with Conor McGregor. The quote was, look how they screwed GSP, now waiting for his contract to expire. Luke, call me crazy, but every fighter in the UFC right now should be echoing not only this British bloke's take, but openly cheering for the idea you gave me behind the scenes last week. Of maybe McGregor Diaz three, not a boxing match, but an MMA fight happening outside the UFC as a way to strong arm the promotion into better pay structures and less draconian contracts. If you're a UFC fighter, you should be cheering for this. I think that's great advice, and I don't think what is being suggested is crazy at all. Dude, what's the big leverage here? If Nate and Connor got free, big, big ifs, huge ifs. But if they did, because by the way, none of them are champion, and they were able to come to terms to stage a boxing event, ordinarily, 10 years ago, that would have been unthinkable and kind of weird and stupid. 
but we're past all that now. We know there's a market for it. Probably, probably as a fight, it would be entertaining for the most part, I guess, given the relative skill sets or whatever. So it would do huge numbers. It would put unbelievable um, pressure on them. I mean, everyone wants to make this out to be like, oh, it's the Jake Paul thing. Well, it's mostly the Jake Paul thing. But Jake Paul has created a little pocket, and not many people can get into that pocket, but the ones who can can just do huge numbers with it. When I say created, I mean the celebrity thing. Obviously, you know, Connor and Nate have been uh, celebrated prize fighters for some time. So what I'm saying is uh, when, when Dana goes and speaks out against that stuff to the best that he can or he tries to ignore it, what he's really trying to do is tamp down any enthusiasm that anyone on his roster might have, whether it's St. Pierre, whether it's Masvidal, or whether independently the two working together, McGregor and Diaz. I don't think any, anything being suggested by that MP or anything else is crazy whatsoever. Uh, would it be crazy if this third fight between them fell under the auspices of Golden Boy MMA? Would that be crazy, Luke? That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy, yes. That All one right. I don't see. All right, number two, Luke. Holly Holmes coach Mike Winklejohn caught up with Ariel on the MMA Hour to repeat something you uttered to me the other day that I was surprised, that they're claiming Misha Tate straight up turned down the UFC's effort to make a Holmes-Tate rematch next. Luke, call me crazy, but since this is the UFC and they don't specialize in selective matchmaking for the most part, seeing Tate put this rematch off in favor of trying to use her name to get a second crack at Amanda Nunes suggests her comeback might be more about the money than we initially thought. Luke, call me crazy. Wait, the comeback by Tate is more about the yeah. money? Yeah, I mean, I get that you want to fight Nunes a second time, but don't you have to kind of pay the dues? And if Holly Holm is that next marketable tough fight in line to get to Nunes, don't you embrace this is UFC? Don't you just grab that and embrace it? But if it was more about marketing, wouldn't you take the home fight because that's a bigger marketing opportunity? Not if you think you can lose that and you're really here to come into a Nunes fight with some shine, get oh, the I payday, see. get that second chance. Skip right to the title shot, you mean. Um, n knowing Misha, I don't know her well, but I've worked with her many times, um, You know, had many conversations with her. I don't believe that. I tend to think that, yeah, she wants to make some money. I think she does want to. I, I can see it. Here's what I'll say. You're not crazy, but I don't agree in the sense that the events could be interpreted in the way that you're doing it. No, no issue. Knowing Misha a little bit, I find that hard to believe. She's such a born competitor that, yes, of course, making money is big. Yes, of course, all those things play a role. But I do also think that she wants competitively to uh, maximize what she can. And I think she's just, I think she believes, my, here's my guess, she's not quite ready for that in her comeback. That the comeback she had, the comeback fight was a good first kind of test. But she looked at it and was like, probably some things I need to work on a little bit. Um, let me give me some time. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. If it is that way, then I, I would be crazy and I would apologize, Luke. But that's why this segment's so edgy because we just throw shit at the wall. Luke, number Super three, edge. according to Sunsport Sun in the UK, the October 30th boxing heavyweight bout pairing Dillian White and Otto Valin is now off after White suffered a so shoulder injury in training. Luke, call me crazy, but I'm not sure his shoulder is injured as much as it's itchy. You know, itchy for the greenbacks, the kind of itch that only comes when the WBC names you as the mandatory challenger for Tyson Fury's title and maybe him not wanting to screw that up with a dangerous stay-busy fight. 
Uh, Luke, can we change the medical report from uh, injured to sh itchy shoulder? I don't have the doctor backing to right weigh in on this, but the timing, it does make you go, hmm. No one notices the contrast of white on white. See what you did there. Um, I don't know. This, the British boxing thing, I, I don't have, I'm not very plugged in, as you can well imagine. I don't, Valine's a tough, I mean, you're not crazy. You're not, I don't think you're crazy, crazy, but you're not like, you're kind of crazy. How about that? You're kind of crazy. Okay. How about that? There was a few COVID cancellations this year that people made, hmm, gestures at. People said that about Ryan Garcia's hand injury, by the way, and then he put pictures out of him in the hospital getting surgery. So who knows, Luke? All right, number and four. Dana said it about uh, Oscar doing, getting, getting an Oscar in his hospital bed when he got COVID. Yes, that's very true. Luke, although I have long called it one of my three favorite movies of all time, there's one glaring issue with the plot in the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. No, I'm not talking about the psychotic and largely satanic boat ride that Wonka tried to pass off on those kids as fun. Charlie Bucket and his dirtbag lazy sleep in his own feces for 25 years like it's nothing. Grandpa Joe should have been disqualified from getting the Chocolate Factory and inheriting everything because just like the five other kid rejects, Charlie blatantly stole fizzy lifting drinks. He bumped into the ceiling, which has to be washed and sterilized. So, Luke, he gets nothing. Good day, sir. But just because Charlie fessed up in the midst of being caught and gave back the everlasting gobstopper that suddenly all is forgiven, Luke, call me crazy, but this is why OJ and Brian Laundrie shouldn't have run. Are you going back to the well of OJ jokes because the last one worked real well? No, I, I tied him in last minute, but uh, this always bothers me, Luke. I mean, is it really? Uh, that? I don't like, think I don't think that the system of justice employed in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is probably all that uh, meaningful a form of justice. And the one that OJ got, although also uh, didn't get the job done, perhaps a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know what you're asking. This is a fucking bizarre question. <laughs> Well, uh, should Wonka have forgiven that kid? He stole the thing that he told him not to, Luke. Oh, oh, oh Listen, because you gave me back the gobstopper and didn't try to sell me out. Here's my whole company. I'm like, the the, I'm like the Michael Jordan meme that just says, fuck them kids. That's me. All right, all right. You do agree Brian Laundrie should have faced the music up front, right, Luke? Of course. Who wouldn't? All right. Then, I'm not, then at least I'm not crazy on that. We'll see if this segment lasts another week. Number five, Luke, former two-division UFC champion Henry Cejudo. You know who he told? MMA Mania's Shaquille Majori, the Frenchman. You know my our friend, right? You know that guy. He is not French. He is Persian. I know. Well, okay. He was Persian-French. All right. I'm French-Canadian. You can mix. You can mix, Luke. Um, what Cejudo said this week was, uh, as one of seven children to a single immigrant working mother, he said he didn't sleep in his own bed until he was 17. Suhudo also said he has put his days as a, quote, player aside. And with his first child set to be born next month, Luke, him and his partner have decided to name their baby, regardless of what sex it is, America Suhudo, to honor his humble upbringing. Luke, call me crazy, but I would probably be more willing to name my next child La Aquila Makalapuo Kalanipo Brown than I would America. That's just me talking. Related, I actually can't have any more kids because of that hack butcher job I endured with the, with the, the, the three needles, bro. Um, you into this name, Luke? 
No, no, but it's not my kid, so. Um, I, I you, mean, no. I mean, that'd be like you naming your kids India. It reflects your backstory, right? A cutter. <laughs> here are my two. Here are my two daughters, India and Cutter. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see if we can make it through the segment. Number six. Luke Fedor gave an interview with the Russian news agency TASS this week, in which he referred to UFC's fighter contracts as "quote oppressive, draconian, and enslaving." The 45-year-old legend also went on to say this about Dana White. Money means everything to him. He has no respect toward fighters, no respect for any human being, only money and that's all. There is nothing humane about Dana, and I find that quite revolting. Money, of course, is important for living and for the family, but trading human emotions for money is unacceptable, Fedor closed with. Look, call me crazy, but not only do I see no lies in anything the last emperor said— in fact, forget money. Fedor wasn't willing to trade human relations for anything throughout most of his career, Luke, including that time you asked him what his favorite Russian novel was in that MMA Hour interview, and he canceled which, which, all which you're definitely Which you're definitely not still bitter about. He, cover, he canceled all subsequent interviews, including my in-person one right after that. Um, Luke, it's harsh, but I think Fedor for once actually had some substance to what he said. I think he nailed it. Sort of. I mean, is what he, would I disagree with anything he's saying? No, of course not. But it's like, dude, <laughs> I got bad news for everybody. If you want to work in the fight game, uh, you're going to have to eventually, at some point, work with some bloodthirsty, just absolute, degenerate, <clears throat> awful people. And I guarantee he's both made money for and uh, taken money from people just like that i mean the guy was you know buried into m1 for a long time are we just imagining these were all high character individuals i mean get a yeah. grip this is so it's nonsense vadami vadim finkelstein luke i don't think that yeah. guy was uh yeah even scott coker was telling us awful things about him uh you know so it's like yes yeah, do i do do i agree with his sense of things more or less but the idea that oh i that that's over there and here's my career and it's distinct from that come on dude no, it's not. You, you you waited in the exact same piss-filled kiddie pool that the rest of us did. So, are you saying you he know. had he he shook hands with the yakuza? Is that what you're saying, Luke? I, I I don't know what he did or didn't do on a very specific level. I just know the fight game is full of malcontents, broken people, and weirdos. And if you want to be in it, you're going to be next to him. It's just a matter of fact. I mean, that's how you got here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am one of them. Oh, wow, Luke, you're doing a good job shooting down all my crazy shit today. Two more, Luke. The trailer for the movie Scream 5, which reunites Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox from the 90s in a direct sequel to 2011's fourth installment, has made the rounds on social media, Luke. It'll come out in January. This is the first in the series not directed by Wes Craven, who passed away six years ago. Call me crazy, Luke, but for the amount of barely redeemable Jason, Freddy Krueger, and Michael Myers sequels, that have flooded the horror genre throughout the years, both Scream and its competing 90s franchise, I know what you did last summer, really don't get the credit they deserve for being fun, scary, and featuring a lot of prime, hot, young TNA. And, you know, decently structured plots around it. It may be sort of like commercial horror or a softcore spinoff of the tradition that we came up with, but they're just better movies overall, Luke. I don't think people give Scream and company the love. I'm going to see this shit, maybe in the theater. Deal with it. Coming off my 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 uh, grunge pop 
take from the 90s last time, Luke, it's in line with that, but I stand by it. Well, I have bad news, which is to say I'm not presenting this to you as some kind of cool factor. Far from it. I, I don't know why this is true. I guess it just ended up being this way. I've never seen any of the Scream films. I have no basis of comparison here. And I, I know that's probably on brand in certain ways. It wasn't a decision like, fuck Scream. I just never got around to it. So I've never seen them. What about I Know What You Did, Luke? I've not seen that one either. There's two of them. Um, you didn't see either one? All right. No, I've seen a couple of the... I've seen on TV Final Destination, the Devin Sawa stuff. I've seen that. Um, I've seen Wild Things. You know, that was some 90s TNA, right? Um, yeah, heavy on the T, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've seen that, but I've not, I've not seen the other ones. All right. Uh, one more for you, Luke. Your boy Brendan Shops at a national indoor record during Tuesday's episode of Blow the Belt for using the word narrative the most times during his 19-minute apology to Ariel Hawani. I think I counted 49 times, in fact, Luke, that he said narrative, although uh, that might actually be the amount of times that you've watched max alex too let that joke never die luke call me crazy but all things considered i'm really happy that this weird soap opera is now finally over i was doing my level best not to pay attention to it most of the things i learned were from you constantly harassing me about it um but yes i'm glad it is over and let everyone get dude this shit's exhausting man like just constantly just i'm mad at you <laughs> You just and just being about that all the fucking time. I can't do all that anymore, dude. I don't have it in me. So well, Luke, there were uh, wrong narratives in the world. They were corrected, and nobody got hurt in the end. Well, that's that remains to be seen. But um, yeah, so far so good. I'll put it that way. All right. Hey, call me crazy, Luke. But that segment survived another week. We'll see what happens. All, all right, right, Luke. As always, you can send your takes, your shit. A lot of things to morningcombat at gmail.com and our trusty producer Mikey Morms will deal with that and uh, hopefully have a good uh, good filter for the good stuff and the bad stuff. Uh, this week, it's time for your fan submission. Whoop, whoop. I'm actually looking forward to these more and more these days. I'm not We've got totally mail. sure why, but it feels like they're making a better effort. Bill, uh, Bill, how about Luke? Luke, it's time to bring back in Bill and Jen from the RV Adventure Tour. They got two pictures... From Berkeley Pitt in Butte, Montana. And by the name, Bill wants to let us know his real name is actually Norman William. So that's why when they sent in pictures last time, it was under the name Norm. And we're like, do they have a voyeur in their camper? No, they don't, Luke. Um, thanks to BC for following our journey. Luke, this this happy couple still wearing that 1.0. We should get RJ on the horn and find out the address of where this RV is parked and send them everything we have on 2.0. Yeah, that's a good idea. Although they get a lot of they get a lot of pub, Bill and Jen, on this uh, this here podcast, don't they? You're saying, you're saying they've gotten enough. You're like they've received enough attention. I don't need. to I'm give saying them at some point, at some point, you haven't visited the capital of Los Estados Unidos. You haven't visited the King of Connecticut. Doing a lot of visiting on the other side oh, of the wow. country. Oh, we're wow. giving you we're giving you a lot of pub here. I mean, what's up with the East Coast love? Nothing going wow, on. Wow, this is this is two weeks removed from Luke saying, you know, if they showed up in Jersey City, I'd uh, I'd probably wave out the window at them. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think I said any of those things. Although that's probably true. You're like I'll probably drop a dump in their RV just to just to let them just to mark my scent. Yeah, all right. Hey, Bill and Jen, you, thank you for touring this country. For uh, I hope the dogs are well. Luke, we have wholesome fans that aren't looking just to get us like either in bed or in a dark 
tub in an abandoned building with one of our organs missing. We actually have decent folk. They're decent folk. I'm just saying they're doing a lot of West Coast touring, not a lot of East Coast touring. All right. Let's move on. This is from Cole. He says, just got my MK mug. Love it, guys. Thanks for everything. Let's see how this guy looks. Oh, boy. boy he, is, 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 this how, is, this how, is this how you dress when you're on the run from the January 6th committee? <laughs> Luke, I, first of all, I love the Mr. Rogers sweater vest, and I love that he bought our mug. So shout out to you, Cole. But, Luke, his, his bathroom sink <laughs> management, it could use work. Yeah, it's absolute trash. He looks like he's a single guy. A woman hasn't been there since 1972. <laughs> Blow it back up, will you? Okay, let's look at this for just a second. I think that glass container is where he makes the uh, crack. Yeah, he's, got the, he, he's got the polo cologne, just toothbrush and toothpaste all over the sink. And yeah. then he's got what appear to be a stack of CDs for no fucking reason in the sink. I can't lie, this does look like your hotel room, Luke, all the time. There's always, like, washcloths hanging over the sink, and I'm like, I don't want to touch it. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely he's definitely done some cleaning after with his you know, lower body after, with that blue towel there. So Gross. All right, thank That's you, fun. Cole. Hey, Juan is here. Hey, Luke. Hey, Luck and Brian. P1. Juan from Phoenix. I've what? got some pictures... Of me repping MK gear at Bellator 268. The first one is myself and my wife, and the second one is me and the couch of the year. Coach of the <laughs> coach. year. Coach of the year. He wrote couch. Sorry. Coach of the year. Captain America, Luke. He wrote couch? Yeah, he did. He <laughs> from wrote now on, From now on, when I see Eric, I'll be like, dude, you're the couch of the year. You're, yes. That's really what you yes, are. Yes, in those glasses for sure. Hey, can we go back to his lady friend there, his wife? Is it his wife or his girlfriend? It's his wife. His girlfriend wife. only takes the UFC cards. But Luke, look at he's got. Can we blow it up? He's got a little bit of ink. Luke, this guy looks legit. Yeah, he looks like a normal human uh, who can live with a woman, which is you know that's a that's a tall order for I think our audience. But he has managed to clear it. Luke, I have nothing but positive things to say about his relationship, all right, and his relationship with our show. So shout out to you, Juan. Good Thank work. You. All Thank right. You, Juan. Uh, David has a photo and a video. He says, look, I used to teach British and American English over here in France, but since I started watching the show, I've had to broaden my horizons by adding BC Connecticut Kings English and LT Doha Georgian dialect. Here's an example of a vocabulary list and the COVID infested pronunciation routine. My students were so desperate to get on YouTube. Most of them took their masks off. They don't have the slightest idea what MK is or why the fuck I'm making them repeat this shit. Cheers, David Cosby Weinstein. Luke, that's David, our, our, our Cosbarian French teacher. Yeah, I don't understand why you keep saying adaption either, but uh, whatever, neither here nor there. What is, what is mine supposed to be reading? Something you, spatial alignment, but I can't quite read it. Can you blow it up here, Manich, one more time, please? Can connect Connecticut BC Connecticut Kings English equals adaption. LT yes. Doha Georgian English equals kinetic. Manetico spatial. I don't even know what the fuck he's. The joke would have been. The joke was great until he got to me, and then he botched it. Much like he does HR violations. <laughs> Big fan of David A. wearing the MK merch in the classroom. He's also, he says, P.S. As you can see, my quest to get down to 70 kilos before you reached 100K was a total fa failure. Could you ask the merch guys to issue a new SBF size, short but fat? We have audio for this video. 
So guys, repeat after me. MK. MK. All day. All day. Nearly every day. Nearly every day. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Dude, these, these French motherfuckers are like, dude, we pay this asshole for what? He's like, repeat after me. No means yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that guy, David Cosby Weinstein, he's the best. Luke, he is the best. Big fan. I didn't know he had an English accent. That makes him a little creepier, Luke. uh, Didn't he say he was British? Yeah, he might have. I don't know. All right, Bob's here. Hey, Luke, got my MK shirt on Friday. Hell yeah. Look at this hard charger right here. Look at my Russian three-wheel tank. I think our time in the core may have overlapped. I was in from 92 to 96. On a side note, I would love to see you and BC on Hot Ones with Sean Evans. I can only imagine the answers BC would give while hopped up on the death sauce. Luke, uh, first of all, thank you, Bob, for sending this in and for wearing that. Do we even sell that shirt, Luke? I, 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 yes is the answer. I think I'm not even really sure. Is that a Halloween dude, look shirt? at, look at this fucking, uh, rig he's got here. Yeah, Can you just manage, can you big, big screen this? What's going on here? So he's got the seven, six, two MM on the window shield, which is the NATO round that the M 16, a two service rifle, or maybe the M four fires as well. It, it was M 16, a two when I was there, I guess they fire the MP four now, but that was the, that was the type of round, the seven, six, two millimeter. Um, and then he's got the grenades, the Full Metal Jacket. I can't quite see what it says over the wheel. Joker, I guess, is a reference from Full Metal Jacket. And then he's got the Tommy gun on the the extra seater with it looks like um, the 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 sort of can the ammo cans that they wear and carry on the side. I can't quite tell, but dude, this rig is. And he's got the old school camouflage. If you'll notice, BC, he's got the behind the Tommy gun. He's got the camouflage that they had when we and he and I were in the court. We didn't overlap. He was 92, 96. I was 98, 05. Um, but uh, that, that kind of camouflage they don't make anymore. And he's got it covering the sort of the top seat there of the, of the, of the what do you want to call it? The sidecar? Is that what it's called? The sidecar? Yeah. yeah, my dad had a sidecar growing up. I used to sit in it, Luke. It was, it was something. My man is a hard charger, bro. He is not letting you know. There's no mistaking what this guy's about when he's driving yeah. down the road. I'm going to venture that he has a, a large American flag in his front lawn and that we actually know where he was January 6th, Luke. Deal with that. See, he, he, he looks to me like the kind of guy who definitely would put his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Yes. But he's not going to break the laws to do it. He's you know not going to smear shit across the top of it, but right. he might... He might drop a little in the in the side drawer, you know, just just. So he'll, he'll, he would take a dump in the fishbowl. Yeah, but that's about it. You know what I'm hey, saying? He's got a strong goatee there, Luke. I mean, you see that guy in Walmart? You turn around, and walk the other way. You know what I mean? This is a guy who definitely asks questions at like Home Depot <laughs> that the people there cannot answer. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, how do I remove bones from the body? Uh, just to, and yeah, they're like, sir, this is not this. This is an RV. Like, sir, this is not a morgue. Uh... <laughs> Can I eat this? I got that off of a cadaver. Yeah. All right, Luke. Um, Fernando has six photos. He says, "Hey guys, was so pumped with the selection of teas, I couldn't decide which one to buy, so I bought wow. three. Had a long Monday at work, but it was all worth it when I saw these babies. Love the show. Haven't been keeping up with extra credit because, like Brian, I'm an artiste who goes with the flow, but mainly is content with Luke's regular live chat. 
Anyways, highlight of my MK fandom was my comment, Orchids of Tech Issues had a split second on the first dock. Revelry, Revelry, Fernando from Indianapolis. Luke, we got fans everywhere. Hey, this guy fills out a, a, sh- a shmedium pretty well, right, Luke? Let's, hold on, let's, 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 let's uh, examine his sink there. Go back. These guys, they don't learn. All right, throw it up here. Let's see what we got. We got mouthwash there. We got some. Oh, uh, this one's a little bit better. He's got yeah, his he, ball trimmer there, but the, I can tell within one second that this guy pays his taxes. He's you know he's he's responsible. Yeah, th- this is the kind. Yeah, this guy definitely brings women over. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, yeah, yeah. He's got. Like he's he's got, got. I bet he cooks for them. I could see Fernando cooking for them. For sure, he's got his laundry hamper in the back there. He's got his scissors. He's got his, you know. Uh, chloroform there to put people to sleep when they come over so he can take their skin off and then he's got some hair cycle through real quick let me anything else this guy's got for us here i mean he's got the shoe boxes out in the side but he's a shoe collector yeah this is all right this is all right yeah no he he's all right this guy's all right all right i don't need to know he's not quite a hoarder he's more a collector yes yes he is yes he is looking good fernando appreciate your fandom Wow, six, three, three shirts he bought. Look, that's fantastic. All right. Yeah, that's a, lot, that's a lot of money sending our way. We appreciate it. Hey, fellas, love the show. Quick fan sub of Luke holding up an intervention for Brian's inane and, frankly, infantile hopes and dreams. Let's see this. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's funny. That's yeah, that's funny. That's, uh, that's good shit. Uh, P.S., Brian, the Campbell clan stole my family's ancestral home and purged us out of our native Scotland. But we love you anyway. All the best from Northern Virginia. It's Josh D. That's well done. That is very, very good. Not true, but very good. All right. Scott says, hey, Donks, in honor of Luke never letting Bapa BC interrupt him, Luke refuses to be interrupted by Dick Jug BC. Water weed dune here. Scott from L.A. Semper Fi. Never die. I feel like this is unfair and false and well, defamatory. I think it's, it's standard operating procedure for MK, Luke. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's true. All right. MK Superfan slides in, says, Luke working hard the day before the election. Big fan, Tyron. <laughs> Tyron. 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 A resume Tyron. review of Trump? I don't even know what that would be. Um. Yeah, it would lead to his demise is where Tyron's going here, Luke, okay? Oh, I see, I see, I see. I get the joke. We put okay. Canelo All under right. that microscope. We should ask him about it today. Canelo, how do you how do you feel about getting resume reviewed? I don't think, he, yeah, you know, he, he might care a lot, but I'm guessing the answer is he won't. He'll just hang up on us. He'll just be like, all right, I'm done. All right, we got to hang up on this show quickly. Mike H. from New Zealand. Which of you donks is climbing the wall? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's that's that's, that's a great joke. <laughs> that is really good. Wow, he's 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 a New Zealander too, Luke, and he made that joke. That's great. That's Even great better. Shit. All right, finally, Ben says personally, I'm more of an MK fan, but you can't deny what an iconic game Street Fighter Two was, particularly for the music. Luke was obviously going to be Guile with his military background, but BC got Zangief just because. Were you See, two this a fan? Is- they want to know your favorite character, Luke. Were you a fan? Well, this of is two? funny because when I interviewed Rampage before the King Mo fight, the first one, or was there two? I guess there was. I don't even know. But the one he had where Mo the Wall called Bjorn Rebney a dick rider. That whole that whole uh, media cycle. Uh, in person, Rampage Jack me, J- Jackson called me Zangief that whole week. Um, 
which was kind of funny, I suppose. I, I was always more like a... I wasn't the big Street Fighter guy, but I guess if I was, I, I liked E Honda. Kinda. What about you? I, I was a big Street Fighter guy, and I was Guile all the way, and wanted that hair. Luke still still do to a large degree. The blonde flat top that just kind of falls over. You look like Lonzo. I look like Lonzo Ball here. Yeah, yeah. It's not working for you, Luke. But thank yeah, it's you terrible. for Ben sending that in. Morning Combat at gmail dot com is the is the inbox to send. Uh, Luke, you and I have to pack up because shortly on the Showtime Sports YouTube page, we will be hosting Canelo Alvarez's live workout from San Diego ahead, of course, of his November 6th Showtime pay-per-view bout against Caleb Plant for all four world titles. By the way, Luke, do you realize the amount of, like, pure hatred? Because, you know, our job is to preview this fight. And by the way, Caleb Plant, last time I checked, he's an active fighter who's never lost and has a chance, at least, Luke. The amount of, like, you motherfucker, you don't know a thing about boxing if you think Caleb Plant has a shot in hell about this. They should get somebody up there who actually knows what they're talking about. Like, it happened, like, 20 times. It's like, okay, wow, damn, these people are pretty fired up for Canelo. Luke, by about the 75th DM, I was like, okay, people, like, can we relax here? All right? Well, who is DMing you? Just fan, just just boxing hardcores. Telling you you don't know shit? Yeah, because they saw, like, a 90-second clip pulled out of our show where I was like, you know... You know, Caleb Plant's got quick hands. Apparently that meant he's going to knock Canelo out, Luke. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I know. The, the number one thing, the number one illusion that people like to hold is if they were in the media's job, they would be better at it. Um, and they wouldn't be. They'd be significantly worse. So there you go. Just hey, little, on that note, little... Luke, let's let's walk off. All right, let's get out of here. Hey, uh, just a reminder, Thanks, you get guys. you gave the email address, morningcombat.store, by the way. I, I, I like how fan subs, BC, as you walk off has turned into like, let's promote our merch. <laughs> and we have two segments where we promote our merch, the beginning of the show and then uh, fan subs. So very quickly, if you want some more morningcombat.store, Halloween merch is only there for a limited time. If you're going to get it, get it now. Showtime.com is the label that pays us. So go to showtime.com and get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you may go do whatever you wish with your life. We, of course, will have a Friday show to get you ready for all the weekend's fights. We're working on a back scratcher in the merch store, I am told. Um, join us at the Showtime Sports YouTube channel at 1.30 East Coast time, so in less than an hour, but about an hour from now, and BC and I will be working our way through the Canelo presser, or not presser, I should say, workout, which will be a lot of fun. Um, okay, like the show, uh, give it a thumbs up, subscribe, the whole nine yards. We'll talk to you guys in about an hour if you join us for the workout. If not, see you on Friday, and until then, may all of your gains be loyal.